Hi everyone, this is Mackenzie Fagan and you're listening to Glitter and Doom. This season, because we can't invite artists into our studio at Brick in downtown Brooklyn like we normally do, we're focusing on art that grapples with confinement, isolation, and quarantine. We started working on this episode a few weeks ago, after video of Ahmaud Arbery's murder was released, but while George Floyd was still alive. Since then, George Floyd was murdered in Minneapolis after a police officer knelt on his neck for nine minutes. Unarmed Black Louisville resident David McAtee was shot by the National Guard. Black trans man Tony McDade was killed by police in Tallahassee. Officers in Atlanta pulled two Black college students out of their car and tased them. And countless more scenes of state violence against Black people have played out across the country. On this episode, we're going to hear from artist, activist, and revolutionary Ogeri Latulo, whose art, much of which was created while he was in solitary confinement, deals with the systematic oppression of Black Americans by the criminal justice system. We say that this show is about artists whose work addresses the most pressing issues of their time. If there's a more pressing issue right now, I can't think of it. My name is Ogeri Rasulo. I'm calling you from Elizabeth, New Jersey. You can call me Ogeri. You spent 28 years in prison, is that right? Yes, it is. And how many of those 28 years did you spend in solitary confinement? 22. How did you get through that? In isolation, you have to have a strong sense of self and purpose in order to survive. Ogeri Latulo went to prison in 1982 for a parole violation. He had been in and out of custody since the early 70s for crimes like aggravated assault, robbery, and weapons possession, all related to the revolutionary struggle for Black liberation. Ogeri, a lapsed Marxist who now identifies as an anarchist, was active in the armed wing of the Black Liberation Army, or BLA. The BLA, an underground Black nationalist organization that emerged out of the Black Panther Party, was mostly active in the 70s and called for the liberation and self-determination of Black Americans through the use of force, if necessary. In 1975, he was arrested over a shootout with a drug dealer, the purpose of which was, in his own words, to secure monies to finance one's activities and to rid the oppressed communities of drug dealers. In 1977, he was involved in a bank robbery, an attempt to, again in his words, expropriate monies from a capitalist state bank in order to finance our activities. The Black Panthers still exist and the Black Panthers are still extremely active. The Black Panther Party has attracted strong national support from radicals and intellectuals, black and white. The Panthers openly advocate the use of guns against the police, claiming that they don't attack, but will only shoot in self-defense. Panther doesn't strike anyone, but if the aggressor continues, then he'll strike out. The Panthers say this is the only means of ridding the black ghetto of what they call police brutality and oppression. And this is why that the solution that the Black Panthers offer the citizens in general is for the police to withdraw from the community. The major issue in race relations in Oakland is the continued friction between the black community and the police. Am I under I'm telling you to take your hands off me. Both sides are holding firm to their positions and the situation remains potentially explosive. Take your hands off me if I'm not under arrest. The real content of any kind of revolutionary thrust lies in the, in, in the principles and the goals that you're striving for, not in the way you reach them. 
the police department is slowly but surely becoming the provocateurs and the inciters of incidents that could very easily lead to the extermination of members of the Black Panther Party. On the other hand, because of the violence that exists on the surface everywhere, you have to expect that there are going to be such explosions. You have to expect things like that as reactions. The police maintain the Panthers have provoked these incidents. The Panthers claim the police are trying to liquidate their leadership and destroy the party. You ask me whether I approve of violence. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense at all. Ojiri, why were you placed in solitary confinement? I went to prison as revolutionary. So they were aware of that, so they didn't want me in the general population. So they just, you know, fabricated an allegation to, you know, have me placed in the management control unit. Okay, so you didn't start a fight or punch a guard or anything like that. You're saying that you were placed in solitary confinement because you were affiliated with the Black Liberation Army and the prison administrators. They were concerned that if you were left in Gen Pop, that your ideology and your views might influence the thinking of other prisoners. Is that right? That's that's correct. And why was that a problem for them? For them, uh, uh, because they didn't want that the prison is questioning authority. They didn't want the prisoners to become aware of who they really were as, uh, you know, young black men and young uh, Latino men. So Audrey was placed in what was called a management control unit. The term control unit was coined in the early 70s, and it refers to a prison or a part of a prison where incarcerated individuals are kept in solitary confinement indefinitely. Not for punitive reasons, but for administrative reasons. Control units were invented to segregate prisoners whose political views were deemed dangerous. And more recently, they've been used to isolate Muslim prisoners whose religious views are judged to be too incendiary. It was while he was in solitary confinement that Ogeri started creating collages. He was influenced by the work of Emery Douglas, the Minister of Culture for the Black Panther Party, who's responsible for their most iconic imagery, much of it employing collage. Ogeri's style is bold and graphic, consisting of layered words and images pulled from newspapers and magazines. It's sort of reminiscent of a ransom note that a B-movie gangster might put together using mishmashed fonts. Most of the words and photos are printed in black and white, but the other colors in Ogeri's palette are yellow, pink, blue, and mint green. That's because those are the colors of the printer paper that he had access to. I'll try to describe one of his pieces. In the middle of the page is a black and white photo of a cage. On top of that are pasted words and other pictures, including a photograph of Ogeri and the phrases caged man, under the thumb, and 24 hours, all of which have been clipped from different sources, which you can tell because they're in different fonts. Sandwiching the central image of the cage is the word oppression, once on the left, once on the right, in huge bold font running sideways from bottom to top. And around all of this, creating a border on three sides, is a collaged image of a length of chain, the kind you would use to shackle men's feet together on a chain gang. There's another snippet of text that reads, Breaking men's minds. What is no-touch torture? Ojiri, what is no-touch torture? When I was there, they never physically put their hands on me. They never physically gas me. I could only have recreation 
visits by myself. That's no such torture. Another point, they put me in the mental health unit and held me there for six six days in communicado, right? The cell is freezing cold. The, the lights stay on 24 hours a day. The, cell, the, the cells are painted white. They took my clothing, and I, and I would have to walk up and down the cell to, to try to keep my blood circulating, right? Then at one point, then they gave me paper sheets and paper towels, right? Did you have any clothes at all, or did they take everything? No, no, no I, was, I was butt naked. And was there a bed in the cell? There a dirty foam mattress on the floor. How long were you there? Six days. And another point, they put me in a bloody cell where a person had attempted suicide earlier, right? And left me there for six hours. That's, that's no such torture. That incident, where guards placed Ogeri in a bloody cell where a fellow inmate had attempted suicide, inspired another collage. This one shows a diagram of a cell in the management control unit, depicted in a line drawing. The walls look to be cinder block, and they're crowned by a rectangular light fixture that is labeled overhead fluorescent lights. On the back wall, there's a steel bed frame, labeled as such, and in front of that, a stainless steel stool bolted into the ground in front of a desk and a toilet and a sink, all bolted to the wall. This sort of architectural rendering is in black and white, but Ogery has smeared red all over it. Across the walls, on the floor, in the sink. He's pasted a photo of himself smack dab in the middle of this bloody cell. There are words collaged around the image too. No touch torture, psychological torture. And running across the left side of the piece lengthwise, so you have to tilt your head to the side to read it, are the words... The control unit treatment program is long-term punishment under the guise of what is, in fact, pseudoscientific experimentation. Why did you start creating these collages? A lot of people would have questions about, well, what do the cell look like? What do you do every day, right? So as opposed to me rehashing everything, I start creating the collages, right, to articulate the visual is more effective than the verbal. And did you consider yourself an artist before you started making them? No, no, no. See, what I was, you know, what I was doing, I, I was, I was, I was just creating. I called it political propaganda. The raw materials for your collages. It looks like there's newspapers, um, images that you've pulled, maybe from magazines or have printed out onto colored paper. Where were you getting the raw materials to create your collages? The only thing I had was uh, newspaper articles and magazines and Elmer's glue, and, and my thoughts. Ogery was released in August of 2009 after serving 28 years in prison. Six months later, he was on an Amtrak train, returning from California where he'd been invited by the anarchist Black Cross to deliver a talk when he was rearrested. So somebody called the police on you because they thought you were threatening to bomb the train. Is that right? I done a presentation on my way back to Chicago. I got pulled over in La Hunter, Colorado. I laid down the rest for the night. And the next thing I know, I'm looking down the barrel of, uh, you know, sitting me all night pistols, right? So they take me off the train, take me to the police station, right? And the next morning, I was told that I was being uh, uh, charged with threatening to blow up an Amtrak train. Because you know, the train attendant... <laughs> She uh she initially said that uh when I got on the train she had a gut feeling about me even though she never uh, even though we never seen each other in life or we never exchanged a word. 
And then she says I was antisocial. Again, uh, how could she make a determination like that when she never, she never talked to me before, right? The Amtrak attendant told police that she heard Ojeri talking on the phone about bombing the train. She also said that she was suspicious because he had a blanket over his entire body, so she couldn't see what he was up to. I don't know how you guys sleep, but I have been known to conceal my body with one or more blankets during the night. She went to the conductor and told her that uh, she overheard me talk, talking about blowing the train up. So I got arrested for that. So now, when, when he started investigating, right, uh, she changed her story. She said, well, well, I didn't hear him say that. Somebody else heard him say that. So they were forced to drop the charges, right? The district attorney declined to pursue the case because, as he said, there are no facts to support the burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. A few months later, Ojeri sued the cops for wrongful arrest. During the discovery phase of that trial, Ojeri's lawyers obtained tape of a phone call between Sergeant Sean Mobley, the police officer who arrested Ojeri, and one of the defendants in the case, and Otero County Assistant District Attorney Marty Barta. We're going to play that tape for you, and just, like, content warnings all over the place. You're about to hear a cop and a DA joking about murdering an unarmed black man. The voice you hear first, the one laughing and saying, we're in it now, is District Attorney Barta, presumably referring to the fact that they're getting sued. Then you'll hear Sergeant Mobley sounding contrite, saying that he should have just let Ogery get off the train and go. <laughs> oh, God, we're in, the, we're in it now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just let him get off the train and go. Oh, you should have said that uh, he pulled a knife on you and shot the son of a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) He pulled something out of his pocket and it looked like a gun. Damn, it was a goddamn comb. I'm sorry. (laughs) My bad. It was dark. (laughs) I'm bad. (laughs) Uh, Oh, well, anyway, uh, or he could have arrested him, waited for the train, tried to uh, pull out. uh, And here's a thought throw them into the track, the, tr- the, the uh, wheels, and then say he tried to escape. Uh, <laughs> but too late for that. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, good hunting. Good hunting, says Assistant DA Marty Barta. Audrey, that phone call is so upsetting to listen to, and... It obviously makes me think about George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all of the other black men and women who have been murdered by the police. And also, for that reason, it's not, it's an upsetting phone call, but it's also not surprising. I'm a black man in, in, in America, but it's no surprise to me. Black life in America, don't, it's not worth a damn to the white establishment, right? And I tell people just, you know, like, uh, stay away from drugs, you know, read, know your history, right? And just and organize your communities, right? That's what I tell everybody you still, right? I've been struggling this week, as many of us have, I know. And one of the things I've been wrestling with is that I make a podcast about art. And art feels stupid right now. It's like people could take 20 minutes to call their elected officials and demand an end to the militarization of police forces, or they could listen to my internet radio show about art. Stupid. (laughs) 
But then I think about Ojuri. I listen to Ojuri saying the visual is more effective than the verbal. His striking, beautiful, weird, unignorable collages. I mean, he doesn't even consider them art. He calls them political propaganda. But either way, they're undeniably a form of creative expression. And they are also the way that he made his voice heard beyond the four walls of his tiny, glaringly white cell. All he had was newspaper, Elmer's glue, and his thoughts. And he found a way to protest. I've got a lot more than that. So I'm going to take Audrey's advice and read, know the history of violence towards Black people in this country, organize my community, and make this podcast about art. What do you have? What will you do? Glitter and Doom is hosted, written, and produced by me, Mackenzie Fagan. It is produced and edited by Isabel Alcantara, and it is executive produced by Jonathan Leaf, Sasha Mathias, and Aziz Aisham. Special thanks today to Bonnie Kernis and Daryl Brown. <laughs>